The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Hey, what is going on, guys? Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today we have episode 127. The short story at the end of the episode is from 25 Perfect Days plus five more. That story is 27 Generals. That was actually from five more Perfect Days, uh, the five stories I added on to this thing. Uh, and the last one in the collection, actually not the very last one, because just last year I released 31 others, a short story set in the world, but it's written in first person. That one I will put out next week, and no one has heard that yet. I've been sitting on that one for a while. So excited about wrapping this up. Uh, not exactly sure what we're going to go with next. Um, right now I'm going to be recording the TBI book, and Sage Ricci, who's the co-author of Trinus to Die in the Wizard's Tower, is going to start recording that audio book. So I'm not sure exactly what we'll be sharing. I do know that today has to be a short episode because I'm on my way to go get a massage. So I wasn't sure about it because I got one two or three weeks ago and it wrecked me. Uh, man, it, uh, I was really worried that maybe I bruised my back. Um, I was having such a hard time moving around. And then I realized as the pain started to go down, uh, it was on my left side. So I think it was probably just a overload of toxins on my kidney or something. My kidney was not functioning well. So I'm going to look into that, go a lot easier on the massage today, but uh, I'm excited about it. I need, I need the work started physical therapy this week. Um, my plantar fasciitis, my left foot has been so painful. I've been wanting to crawl. It's, uh, it's really, uh, it's been wrecking me. So finally taking care of that, realizing I need to do exercises in order to get that better. And so that is being done. Um, all my attention really this week has been on Germany, on getting everything ready for the Frankfurt Book Fair. I am going to go to that. So I finally bought my airplane ticket. I got my hotel. Now I am in the process of, well, I, and this week I put together my pamphlet. Um, instead of like the normal eight-page brochure I hand out, I just created a 12-page one. Uh, the design on that should be finished today. So I have to order that, make sure it looks good, and then get the final all within the next four weeks. Um, same goes for the cover of the TBI book. I just got the finalized version today, so I'll upload that today with Lightning Source, get it hopefully, I think I have to rush it to get it next week, um, and then I can order more copies, doing the same thing with the German version. Um, another thing, cool thing that happened today was I uh, just got the completed version and the complete cover for Morsels of Mayhem. Uh, which has been translated into German. So I'm going to start up a German newsletter, uh, design all kinds of postcards for the festival that, uh, you know, get the free stories if you sign up for the newsletter type thing. So a lot of little things, but I'm getting it all done. Um, yeah, a little bit overwhelming, but very excited about this opportunity, excited about the trip. Because uh, honestly, even if it was simply me, um, just going, let's say I don't talk to anyone at all at this exhibit, at this festival, at the book fair. Uh, I could simply write, you know, and that would be amazing to have, I think every day you have to be there from eight o'clock until about five o'clock. If I had all that time simply to write, like I would pay for that alone. So um, I know I've already set up some cool appointments. It's going to be a good trip, but um, yeah, I'm going to get a lot of shit done. I'm, I'm excited about it. And even just the plane rides, a lot of people they don't want to go on an 11-hour plane ride or however long it is. 
not me. I was like, I'm cool with it. Um, I'm all right. I'll put in my headphones, put on my music, and just get to writing. So I'm excited about that opportunity. Uh, my son doesn't really want me to go. He's a little bit worried, but he'll be fine. His grandma will be here. His mom's here and sister's here. So he'll be in good hands. So I still have, actually, I'm leaving in 30 days. So not that much longer to get everything together. Um, what else? What else? Try Not to Die World. I am making some good progress with Try Not to Die in the Wild West. Really liking that. I've, In my head, at least, I've rewritten the first third to half of it. Uh, now I just have to input all those notes, give it to John, see what he thinks, and then we will finalize it. Um, Try Not to Die in the Wizard's Tower is all but finalized. Uh, Sage just sent me some of his illustrations. He made a super cool map for the first page of the book, and some he's put a lot of little illustrations in there. He's an awesome artist. Um, he's the one who tattooed my one of my arms right there. And uh, so he uh, he's doing that. What else do we got? So that'll be out in December. Um, yeah. And we've made, I think there's going to be one more trying to die. I know I said I wasn't going to have any more contracts, but my assistant, Alvin, uh, brilliant guy, uh, he came up with the idea, and I think he had mentioned before, of a Try Not to Die that's set up in like a Twisted Reunion uh, world, uh, using lots of the same monsters and having to try to survive them. And so he's working on that right now. At first, he had a lot of self-doubt, but I assured him, like, it's not, when, I, when I'm looking for co-authors, some of my co-authors are uh, authors that have a lot of experience. Some are authors that are at the very start of their career. Some have never written a thing. It doesn't matter because I think everyone has a story in them. Like Alvin, incredible imagination, also very smart, big time reader. And like, that's the perfect combination. So if he's able to, you know, we'll work out these ideas together, make them concrete. He'll give me an outline. I'll rewrite it and it'll be nice and easy. So that's the last one I'm taking off for a while because honestly, I just have I just have too many try not to die. It's taking up so much time. I, I honestly don't know when I'm even going to be able to go back to uh, the Tales of the Blessed and Broken, which I was excited about. So, um, but again, what a shitty problem to have, right? Having too many books. Um, so I'm okay with that. I'm excited about this. Uh, I don't know if I shared it last week or not, but I got another brilliant, like a really good review from Midwest Book Review for the TBI book. I was just thrilled to hear um, this lady's impression on it. That's going on the back cover, along with two other really good blurbs. So I have a high hopes for this book. I think it's going to help a lot of people. And uh, yeah, so pretty exciting stuff. All right, guys, as you can tell, probably I'm trying to get out of here. I still need Fridays are a busy day for me. I like to have either, you know, interviewed a guest or done this ahead of time. But this week, man, it's just been a rush. I've been doing a lot of stuff with the kids in school. We have a soccer practice. Twice a week, I have to go to soccer practices where I'm a, an assistant coach, even though I don't know anything about soccer. Um, and then the other days, I'm driving my daughter to singing because she's going to be in a band. So my days are pretty busy. Wasn't able to record one this week. But I think you guys should be happy with this short story. So let's go out on that. Next week, we'll have a much better uh, podcast. A longer one hopefully i'll find a cool guest uh, but for now let's go out on 27 generals that is from five more perfect days which is part of 25 perfect days plus five more all right guys hope you enjoyed have a fabulous weekend and i will talk to you later peace
27 Generals, December 25, 2076. Prior to the liberation, Jordan Longley had never been on a transport. Now she practically lived on one, about to finish her 50th sortie in the last six days. She was supposed to be on her honeymoon with Matthew, but there could be no time off. Instead of lying on the beach sipping cocktails, she was fortifying her husband's army. The light-armored bus rumbled through the desert trash-strewn streets of the district. Jordan rode shotgun on the lookout for potential recruits as images from the past week flooded her mind. A slow-motion slideshow of the people she'd killed, the ones she couldn't save. Some were controllers, but most were citizens wearing their silver and black. A lot of them just kids, the memories Matthew couldn't modify. Jordan sat up straight. She checked the streets, regripped her plasma rifle. Elias, a disciple-turned-driver, said, Everything cool? Yeah, we're good. Nothing on my side. One more sweep. This is it for today, then home. Good. But Jordan had learned not to get her hopes up. They'd started with 36 generals and had already lost a fourth of them. And even if they made it back to the City of Lights, there was no telling where Matthew would send them next. Each district crawled with loyalists who were prepared to die. They drove into the shadow of Inner Block 4, which had been built bigger and badder in its resurrection. The message to the terrorists, you will never win. It was a message the loyalists heard loud and clear. On her first sortie in Block 53, Jordan had been stupid enough to just walk through the front door. She found a group of men claiming they wanted to join. They recognized her immediately, went after the price on her head. If it hadn't been for Elias, she'd never have made it out. Elias was all business, his dark eyes darting between the road and the screens. He was 18 like Jordan and had been in the same camp, but they rarely talked. Not about him saving her, not about what she did to the preacher, not about Savannah, Elias's live-in, who became one of the rebellion's first casualties when he caught her attempting to report them. The transport slowed to a crawl as it approached the intersection, a practice they started after the first ambush attempt. Elias pointed out Jordan's window down the shadowed road to the black main entrance. Something's going on down there, he said. Even with her upgraded vision, Jordan couldn't see more than a few hundred feet. She turned to the transport screen and tapped into the block's cameras, stopped when she got to the group of people gathered around the benches just outside the entrance. They appeared to be shouting. Jordan turned on the speakers in her helmet. Frightened voices filled her ears. These people needed help. Look, Elias, we have to get them. Elias pointed to the route pulsing on the dash. No, we're steering clear of this. Jordan tapped the side of her helmet. I hear them. They need help. Elias shook his head. We don't have enough room, and we have orders. Jordan saw there were too many people and not enough men, the ones Matthew wanted as warriors. But she also heard a baby a mother pleading for a ride. Screw the order. We'll get as many as we can. Jordan hit the e-brake and the transport jerked to a halt in the middle of the intersection.
What the hell, Jordan? We'll be in and out. Elias scrolled through the camera feeds. Three miles of block four on the left. A strip of grass and the aqueduct on the right. Nothing appeared out of the ordinary except the two dozen citizens crowded around the benches. All right, but this is on you. Jordan got up and grabbed the handle of the cockpit door. We swing by, load them up, in and out, just like that. It'll be tight, but we'll be fine. Elias shook his head, but waved her out. Hurry up. Jordan lowered the visor on her helmet and entered the back of the transport. She didn't know any of these men, didn't want to give them any temptation. Every seat was taken, 32 males, as young as 10, as old as 30. A few set up straight, most of them white as ghosts. I need five men and know how to use a rifle. Seven raised their hands. Jordan took them all, brought them to the rear of the bus and passed out the weapons. I want the three of you covering the store and you three covering the front. Open fire at serious threats. Be wary of anyone in silver or black. Jordan pointed at the man with the bushy mustache. You're with me. You help any stragglers rush everyone in. Everyone nodded their heads like they knew what they were doing. She told them, Get set. Next time we stop, the doors will pop open. You protect this transport. Jordan returned to the cockpit, closed the door behind her. Elias waited until she was back in her seat. I don't like this. Jordan nodded down the street, noted. They had gone close to a mile when Jordan could make out the citizens waving their arms by the benches. Jordan lowered her audio, muffling the screams in case shots were fired. None of these citizens were silver or black. They were jumping up and down, arms flailing. Jordan opened the door, stopping suddenly when she saw the woman with the baby. The woman was violently shaking her head. No, something was definitely wrong. Jordan said, Get us out of here. What? We're here now. Just go. Elias looked beyond the benches and his eyes widened. Oh, shit. He punched the accelerator and headed for the end of the street. The first missile blasted the bench. Body parts thudded against the side of the transport. Jordan lost hold of her rifle just as the second missile struck the ground in front of them. Elias angled for the middle of the street as they picked up speed. Something hit just outside the block's entrance. As the transport drew closer, Elias asked what it was. It wasn't a missile. Jordan turned up her audio. The plummeting screams and blam! A child smashed onto the windshield. Bodies rained down. Cries interrupted mid-scream as flesh splattered the street and smacked the transport. Jordan checked the cameras that viewed the back of the transport. Saw there were only a few dents in the roof. Most of the recruits sat gripping their seats, but her seven stood by the doors, guns ready. Jordan activated the intercom, said, it's going to be okay. Matthew came over the connect. Get out of there now. They're filing in front the back. We have less than two minutes. Jordan thought, they need us. We can't just leave. Matthew said, Elias, get off that street immediately. That is a direct order. Jordan looked out the window. A line of meds stood along block roofline. 
They stood on the ledge with their hands up. Controllers appeared, moved in, and fired. The men plummeted, became one with the street. Elias kept his speed, headed for the end of the block. Elias, stop! We can't let this happen. No way. Orders. Jordan clicked off her connect, put her gun to his head. Stop now. Jordan, don't do this. They're running them off the roof. Take me to the entrance. Elias told her that be suicide. Jordan looked out the window. A line of men stood along the block's roof line. They stood on the ledge with their hands up. Controllers appeared, moved in, and fired. The men plummeted, became one with the street. Elias kept his speed, headed for the end of the block. Elias, stop! We can't let this happen. No way. Orders. Jordan clicked off her connect, put her gun to his head. Stop now! Jordan, don't do this. They're running them off the roof. Take me to an entrance. Elias told her that'd be suicide. A wide-eyed boy thudded five feet in front of them. Elias swerved, but they still felt the crunch. Jordan, get out of there! Matthew must have overridden her connect. He never sounded so frightened. It's a trap! Jordan paused, took her gun off Elias. They had already lost several transports, the controllers torturing every survivor, making a game show out of it, guessing how long a person would make it before ending their own life. As much as she wanted to help the people in the block, she had a duty to protect those already in her care. Something thwacked against the roof, collapsed it, Screams exploded from the back. Elias turned the wheel hard and got the transport as close to the grass as possible, bodies flinging forward and landing a few feet in front of them. Jordan felt like she was about to puke, not just for the sight in front of her, but for what Matthew had done to her, taking her from a fast track to live in to the ultimate traitor. Elias said, Jordan, up ahead. The end of the street was plugged with vehicles, men pointing their weapons at the transport. A flood of armed citizens poured from the block. The flashing lights of controlling force agents flying up behind them. Jordan told Elias to head for the fence separating the street from the aqueduct. Elias said, we won't make it. The vehicles up ahead were stacked five deep. No way they'd bust through. Over the fence. Elias turned the wheel, popped onto the grass, blasted through the chain link. The edge of the aqueduct was a few feet away, the tires spinning in the mud as Elias tried to correct. The transport shot forward, its back wheel still spinning, drifting over the edge. Elias gave up the wheel and covered his face. Jordan held onto the dash. The transport busted through the railing slid down the concrete and slammed onto its side in the sludge. The windshield had cracked and Jordan kicked it out on her second try, foul blackness pouring onto the cab. Elias unbuckled and splashed down beside her. Jordan told him, Take them out the other end. Don't stop. Jordan clicked on the intercom and commanded her seven to gather everyone at the back. She told Elias, you lead these people out. You're coming with us. No. Tell Matthew I'm sorry. 
Jordan, no. Retreat as one down the aqueduct. That is an order. A wave of opposition crested the hill. They were mostly citizens, only a couple cyborg controllers. Matthew had warned her not everyone would accept change. To some, they'd only created a martyr when they killed the preacher, a saint when she ripped out his eyeball to access the armory. Jordan now saw the reason why, for many, life in the blocks was only worse. It had only been six days and already there were food shortages, riots, corpses rotting in the streets. The news replayed the new preacher's ordination in D.C., an unknown kin brought forth by the controllers, the chosen one who'd crushed the loathsome rebellion. Jordan raised her plasma rifle. Don't come any closer or I will shoot. The opposition opened fire first. Jordan hid behind the transport, chucked a plasma charge. A blue light ripped across the hill, temporarily immobilizing both the cyborgs and the people. As Elias and the recruits slogged through the aqueduct, Jordan blasted the cyborgs, watched them spark and collapse. Elias and the recruits still had a hundred yards to the wall, but the immobilizing effect of the charge would only last another five seconds. Jordan reached inside her jacket and squeezed her one and only disruption grenade. Last resort, Matthew had told her. She expected it to be heavy, considering what it was capable of but it was so light she feared she'd crushed it like an egg. She peered around the side, saw the final traces of the blue light. A cyborg was already raising its pistol. Jordan pressed the detonation code with her thumb. Three seconds, she looked back at Elias and the others crawling through the grate. Jordan, please, come on. We'll go on our honeymoon. Don't do this. I hate the beach. You could still run. No, I can't. Jordan heaved the grenade, watched it arc through the gray sky, and land in the middle of the crowd. She stepped out from behind the transport, ready for everything to end, when a stream of children, dressed in colors of the way, sprinted through the crowd, so young and filled with rage. Oh, God. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.